Hi, I'm Rick. I'm Dan. I'm George. I'm Jake. And, and we are Queer Magnolias, the podcast. In each episode, we're going to talk about everything from growing up queer in the South to the issues affecting our community today. With a little bit of fabulous sprinkled in along the way. Join us for an all-you-can-eat buffet of queer joy. Mixed in with the occasional bitch fest. But always served with, with the, the spiciest, spiciest tea. y'all welcome back to another exciting episode of queer magnolias hello it's so lovely to see your faces again and again and again <laughs> it just goes on and on, on and on, on. on. <laughs> so tonight we are going to be discussing this lovely topic of gay elders and there's a couple of them <clears throat> that I know that might be able to shine a light on the subject, maybe. A little bit. I'll Danny, be that's your cue, baby. <laughs> that's your cue, baby. That's me, honey. I'm an elder. Push, push that chair right on up to the microphone, baby. <laughs> here we go. Okay, here I am. Jake, I know we are no longer partners, but you cannot throw me into that category. Yes. So. <laughs> I can. I will burn your house down. <laughs> you boots the house down and stuff. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I just have a quick question. Can we call our gay elders? Can it be gilders? I like it. Of course gilders. it can. Yes. Yeah. Of course it can. That sounds like a a section of high elves. I was going to say, it sounds like some J.R.R. Tolkien shit. <laughs> well, I was going to go, go with horses, like geldings, but still. Okay. You know what a gelding is, Rick? I do. No, Dan's does. like, no, he doesn't. No, I, I do. I saw, it, I saw it yesterday afternoon on the patio at the Bullet. Girl, I guarantee you, you no, did not. You did not. <laughs> you know, you should stop while you're ahead, Rick. <laughs> I guarantee you, you did not. Oh, Lord. Is this some and term you, I'm not knowing? Hold on. Yes, hold, and you did not Google put your shit. face in it either. Nope. Oh. She'd be like, something is sorely lacking like here. here. Right? <laughs> but it starts off easy. <laughs> I'm mild mannered. Children uh, can ride you. Right? <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Jake. Sorry. I, I, think okay. I think we've gone down a rabbit hole. <laughs> so, Gelders. Gelders. <laughs> Isn't that what we're talking about? Uh, yeah. Before Rick wanted to talk about a gelding, but yes. Mm. <laughs> That's not like the Gelflings, is it? <laughs> That's some, that's some dark crystal <laughs> shit right there. <laughs> oh, there's some West Hollywood Nights story. And girl, that's like, <laughs> no, no, never mind. Because I've seen some of those creatures at bus stops, and those are like dark crystal meth. <laughs> <laughs> but you can drop them off anywhere you want when you're finished. Uh huh. 
because it's always an adventure. <laughs> it's always, always an adventure. <laughs> well, here's the thing with this subject. Is it? Are we done? <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Bye, y'all. Th yeah. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next yeah. week. <laughs> they plum forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> that it. That's a little mm. strawberry shortcake line right there. You plum Is forgot. It? Yeah. Oh, look at that. <laughs> well, I came completely unprepared because what? What do I? What the hell do I have to say about my elders? Nothing respectful, anyway. Well, that's all right. We raised you wrong. Don't worry. About that. There we go. I love that's it. That's okay. That's okay. Class, class. Can I have everyone's attention? Little Ricky has a book report he would like to present to us all. <laughs> He's been practicing. Okay, go ahead, Rick. Exactly. Rick, Rick, you, have, Rick you have our attention. <laughs> She's not wrong. I have put together a, a slight part. No, actually, I did want to sort of start off by talking about it's about elders. It's about our queer history, right? It's about it's about the people who sort of forged the path for us coming up. And I wanted to talk about a podcast that I was able to check out recently that I absolutely love. It's done by Jeffrey Masters. It's called LGBTQ and A Podcast, and it's an interview podcast that is uh, supported and produced by The Advocate and. He had a series that he did last summer called the LGBTQ plus elders project. And in that he interviewed different people from the community and not like celebrities, not like people that, you know, you read about in every newspaper. And he just had some really interesting people that he'd found and interviewed. And there was a, a lady that he had interviewed out of New York that talked about what it was like for her growing up and realizing at a young age that she liked women and that she she didn't really she said she didn't really have a word for it or how to describe at that point what she was feeling when she was coming up but she knew that she liked women and she talks about sort of how it was just it became her lifestyle and her family was so accepting and supportive of it for the most oh. part it was just a really like at that point in time and this would be in the 50s and 60s in new york and it in like the heart of New York. So I found that very inspiring. And it was such it's just such a really well done sort of series. I highly recommend it if you get a chance to check it out. What's it um, called again? It's called it's part it's the LGBTQ plus elders project, but it's part of the LGBTQ and A podcast by Jeffrey Masters. So little plug for Jeffrey. Thank you. It's a wonderful project. I think that, you know, that's such an important thing because today I feel like people don't listen to their elders. People don't pay attention to where we came from. People don't, there's just this idea that like the history, like the past doesn't matter. Like we're in, we're in the present. We're looking forward to the future. And for some reason, it feels like people feel like there's nothing to be learned from the past. And personally, that really upsets me. I've always been someone who has been drawn to people who are older, who have something to say, who have something, who have some life wisdom to offer. It's why Dan and I became friends. It's why I'm friends with Rick, because they're older. <laughs> <laughs> Dan's the oldest. <laughs> right. And if you hadn't taken away my walker, I might have gotten away from you. 
<laughs> no, I love you, George. I would never have tried to run away from you. you well, you couldn't, girl. I was guarding your bags. That's fine. True that. True. That. But you know, like, and I, I maybe that has to be, maybe that has to do with the fact that I was raised by my grandparents. Maybe it has the fact to do with we're Southern. I, like, I feel like in the South, you're raised to respect your elders. Like, I don't see that Jake. today. <laughs> Jake, did you hear that? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> respect uh-huh. us. <laughs> I can't hear you. All right. <laughs> Speak louder. So, yeah, I feel like this is an important topic. And I, I, there's nothing I, there is literally nothing I love more than getting to meet some gay elder at some random event and being a like, a gilder? If we will, tell me your story. Like, I want, like, because it's so fascinating to me because. We get to see how far we've come in our own stories compared to theirs, and then still how far yet we've still come in modern day stories. But here's the thing, we all come from the same place. It's all a place of wanting to be loved and accepted and to find that love and to find your tribe. And we all, and it's it doesn't change. It doesn't change. And I think also the fact that, you know, we all do want the same thing and it's important to to hear other people's voices, you know, and and to give other people the chance to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, what mattered to them, because what mattered to a gay person or LGBTQ plus person 50 or 75 years ago mattered last week. Yes. So the thing is, we all want to be seen and heard and how we get to that. Um, I, I will say that I think to sort of throw my generation under the bus a little bit, we've been so preoccupied with youth and beauty that we've we relegated people say 20 years older than me to being oh you got to go to the stripper show because that's what we do mm-hmm. and, and that's uh, look I ain't got a problem tipping some money out but it's important because I think that a lot of people who are 60 and above complain about the fact that the gay youth isn't interested in what they had to say Sadly, some people in my generation were so busy trying to use the people 20 years younger than us that they didn't care about telling about history. And it's it's important that we all be responsible for where we are at our stage in life and telling the story and sharing the story and making ourselves available to really listen. There's nothing sadder in my estimation than, you know, a 16 or 18 or 25 year old really wanting to tell their story and only being objectified because we have to realize that everyone needs to tell their story exactly and everyone in the way that they say it is their version and that has to be the way that we hear it it's that their version of it now we might and everyone has their own way of interpreting things but i feel like that's what tolerance understanding and acceptance is is that you said your story. That is your story. That is how that is how it should be. And I do want to say that I don't I really don't want to disparage my entire generation because I don't feel <laughs> that way. It's important. But it is important that we realize that all of us have a story that's important and we need to make space for someone who's 18 and someone who's 80 and give them the same kind of respect that they can tell it because they are are a lot of things that people older than me and a lot more out than me did for all of us that I'm so very proud of. I mean, 
Stonewall is the most celebrated thing, but there were lots of revolts before Stonewall. Chicago, Miami, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles. Angeles. Black cat girl. (laughs) Yes. I mean, there were a lot of those. And we need to we need to hear about those. I recently learned that somewhere between, I think, 1952 and 1956, gay bars were 100% legal in California because of a slight loophole because the state of California realized it was more important to sell booze Mm. about gay people. The only thing is you couldn't dance or touch, but you could sit at a bar and get drunk because gay bars were legal in California for four years. This is 15 years before Stonewall, 18 years before Stonewall. It's crazy, but I love learning that I'd say changed my life, but I was already sitting on a bar <laughs> drinking. So, I, you know, I was already participating. It was the touching but part want... you hadn't gotten to yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's the memo I did not get. <laughs> yeah, but she warmed up to that very quickly. Huh? <laughs> how, long it, how long does it take for, for queens to uh, start dancing and touching each other after a few drinks? When they walk through the door. <laughs> <laughs> But I do want to go back and touch on something that George said before we move on from it, because I think it's very important. And you had talked about, George, that most people today don't want to think about where we were because that's no longer the case. That's not where we are now, right? And I think it's important to realize that with the way this current political climate is going and uh, with the way that the conservative right wants it to be, it could very easily go back to that. And we have to, if we're not paying attention, if we're not, you know, alert and and ready to sort of say, this is not going to happen, we could very easily find ourselves back in those times from the night. I mean, MAGA really wants this to be 1950 across the board. For some reason, that's their magic era and that's what they want across the board and if they could do anything if the conservative right could do anything to slide us back in time that is big on their agenda to take away our rights that we've gained so much over the past few years and they're already doing that in states this isn't what might come down the pike this is already happening we have states right now passing it's not only trans bills but there you don't say gay there's this there's that and the other there are states currently working overtime to try to see to it that we're put back in the closet with the door tightly mm-hmm. shut and locked. And yeah. it's, it is important to know where we've been, what we've experienced, what people have gone through. Right. And, you know, along with that, too, I remember when they were doing the Don't Say Gay and they were trying to reverse the gay marriage bill. Along with that was also interracial couples, and that had nothing to do with gay or homosexuality at all. So that's as far as that this conservative side is pushing. It's not just because that's the thing starts with us, but once you open that door, it's just going to be exactly. It's like the don't gay say don't. It's like the don't say gay bills, and they said it's mostly it's to protect the kids. Uh-huh. It's no longer about the fucking kids. Now it's now it's bleeding into the adults and all of that. So it's just it's like it's exactly what you said, Jake. It's a way to to get the door open. Once the door is open, they can push it open wider. And well, it's imp- I'm sorry, George. I'm just gonna ahead. say when Roe versus Wade fell, that was it. Yep. Like that, they that was kicking in the door. 
Yep. I also feel it's like a, this is going down a path that's not really a topic, but well, it's right, it right. maybe not the topic, but I also think it's important to to realize. So here in Southern California, which everybody assumes is the bastion of you know liberalism, three different school boards in Southern California have passed uh, legislation against LGBTQ plus community, and it, it we're talking about Southern California. There are sections that are simply trying to do everything they can to harm us. And, and we not to have... mention, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> we have to be ready. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, not to mention like the amount of people that have shown up to protest school board meetings here in North Carolina. I'm sorry, not in North Carolina. <laughs> that would not shock any of us. Here in Southern California, like North Hollywood, bitches, that is like around the corner from the two of you. Glendale. <laughs> Three of us around the corner. Yeah. Well, it, yes, and it, it is really, really crazy. It is insane because you, like you said, people think, oh, California. Yes, right. so, bl so blue. Baby, but, they just want to toe in the door. And that's why it's important to step on that damn toe. Mm -hmm. well, like I said, they're trying, to, they're trying to take us back to 1950. So with that little segue, uh -huh. <laughs> I tried I to wedge you, it in. Did it, it, it work? Did it work? The, Did it the work? book report is Did coming up. What happened in 1950? Come on. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, Ricky Clifton. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a book report. It is actually something I worked on in an LGBT studies class. Thank Get you very much. Get up in my class. But, it was uh, a book but, report. It was not a book report. It was an essay, but whatever. <laughs> no, but... One of the things I learned about that I didn't know about was a society called the Medicine Society. And now, if you've been in Southern California for any length of time, you know a bar called Bar Medicine, right? But I never connected that Medicine actually had something to do with our history. And I thought that was just really fun. But I, when I realized this, I thought it was really fucking cool. But the Medicine Society was actually founded in 1950 here in Los Angeles, and it is actually one of the recorded earliest LGBTQ plus rights organizations here in the United States. And it paved the way and it actually made a crucial role in advocating for the rights and not just rights, but acceptance of LGBTQ individuals during a time when all of when being gay was, you know, criminalized. It was against the law. Uh, the, not to mention you could be disowned and, and kicked out of your family and lose your jobs and all of these things that could happen. And they they did a large part in sort of recognizing and what is the word I'm looking for? They did. They, they legitimizing. Anyway. Sorry. No, because I think so. I'm going to piggyback a little bit on that. So it's not only recognizing, but it was legitimizing. So the Medicine mm -hmm. Society was the first gay group in the United States of America who openly mailed things through mm -hmm. the U.S. Postal Service, which a big thing, the U.S. Postal Service had enacted rules of um, conduct, basically. Sure. You, know, you can't send anything that's controversial, and they would label it pornography. And the Medicine Society stepped up to the plate and said, we're going to mail our newsletter and mail anything we want to mail because you can read it. We've put it out here. Here, U.S. Postal Service, here is what we're mailing. Tell us how this is illicit, illegal, or whatever. And we have a bank of attorneys, and we're ready to sue you. And the Medicine Society was the first group 
who got things mailed out to their members without getting backlash from the U.S. Postal Service. And one other little piece of trivia is Grandpa Walton, Will Gear, was a bisexual man who was married, but he was also bisexual. He was a founding member of the Medicine Society along with Harry Hayes. Get up! Get out of here, Mary Ellen! God Uh damn! Uh, Let me tell you, Zebulon Walton (laughs) knew what he was doing. And he was openly bisexual and an open member of the Medicine Society. And they tried to blacklist him with McCarthy. And he's like, go ahead. I don't give a fuck. We got a lesson, Grandpa Walton. Good night, John Boy. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Girl, that's going to be a social post for this episode. (laughs) I love it. Do it with Grandpa Walton, baby. Come on. I I am shocked and thrilled to hear that. Yes. He he was a changing force, not only in the Medicine Society, but he was blacklisted from a lot of things because of who he was. So he started an outdoor theater in Topanga Canyon, which is still running today. Uh, He did a lot of stage work because he couldn't get movie work. But then he got the role of Grandpa Walton. And everyone knew exactly who he was when he was cast on that. It was a great thing that TV did for him and for all of us. Well, I'm going to say, uh-huh. you know, when they brought the Waltons back, no wonder they killed him off and put Grandma, <laughs> grandma had a strokes. Well, you know, without, without Ellen Corbin, who was the crustiest grandmother ever, you know. <laughs> I will say that, because this is totally off subject, but honestly, when she came back from her stroke and she said, I love you, old man. That was a whole uh, river of tears, oh, right? That's why uh, they went into that script. They like yes, I, deliver that line. That is it. But so I'm going to piggyback off crusty old grandma. Come on, and I'm going to talk about an elder in gay history. That's probably a gelder. A gel. Well, he's not. No, he's not a gelder. He's just an elder in gay history that through certainly no device of his own really benefited and helped the, helped the career of several, several gay artists. And that is Jesse Helms. So without, tell us why. So without, I don't know this. So come without on. Jesse Helms and his ridiculous crusade against the National Endowment for the Arts yep. and, and different art shows that were putting out gay art like Robert Mapplethorpe and Andres Serrano. These artists were this big. And, uh-huh. the people, and the people that were seeing their art was like very New York City, very San Francisco. But then Jesse Helms and very his niche. platform decided to get on there and just raise hell about how filthy it was. And you know what happens when people say, oh my God, this is so dirty, no one should see it. <laughs> take my credit card, take my credit card, take my credit card. I want tickets now, right. yes. I got to go see what he's complaining about a million percent and what i know will have him turning in his grave is the fact that his legacy is that he helped secure the future for like the robert mapplethorpe foundation yep like you are the reason yep that this artist became so fucking famous and popular and everybody like everybody knows him now everybody remind me who's the it was either an author or journalist that worked for Jesse Helms that 
Oh, Armistead Maupin worked for Jesse. Uh, that's what I was going to say. It was Armistead Maupin. I was going to thought that that's who it was. Yeah. And you, you know that story, right? I, I, well, a little bit. So the thing is, so Jesse Helms started as a commentator for WRAL in Raleigh, North Carolina. And there was a lot of civil unrest, I will say, a lot of grumblings. And so Jesse Helms ran as basically a political bigot mm. and he won the Senate seat from North Carolina. And that and was 1973. Kept... That was his first, that was when he was elected. <laughs> and he lasted until the early 90s? 2000, 2003, he was there for 30 years. Oh my God, I did not know it was that. <laughs> 30 <old>. years. <laughs> Armistead Maupin grew up in, a, in a, a fairly conservative family in Raleigh and not a family that was poor. And so you, when you have a little money and you go to Broughton High School, you get, you know, you tend to get a page job. Oh, girl, we're talking the Oakwood section. Yes, baby, the the good section. I tried to be a page, and they said, bitch, go get the coffee and back away, because we don't need them to get poor ass up in here. You can tell watermelons. (laughs) (laughs) And you can come in the back door with the rest of the help, because we ain't got no place for you, Danny boy. So that's how Armistead worked for him, but. I, I I did hear Armistead interviewed, and he was like, you know, the number of things he wanted to try to get Jesse to say. Of course, they were like, no, he's never going to say that. So, <laughs> it's, Lord, Lord, Lord. You know, so part of part of what got me thinking about this was I talked to Ian Hensel, who's the publisher of Rattling Good Yarns Press, recently for my podcast out with. Oh, him. we were talking I... about. Out of, yeah, I know him. We were talking about the fact that he was at a political um, gathering in Palm Springs recently, mm. and it was a gay political gathering. In Palm Springs, talking, that's a shock. Right, <laughs> right. And he was talking to a fellow that was around 30-ish, and he mentioned ACT UP, and the fellow said to him, uh, what is that? And Ian said, you know, he was shocked by the fact that here is... An organization that was so important to the LGBTQ plus community that he was sad that the guy didn't know. The guy really wanted to know. So Ian, you know, clued him in what was going on. But that is also how almost far removed we are from AIDS activism as well. Yeah. You know, that is a part of history that it's, you know, ACT UP came along when no one else was marching in the streets and trying to set shut on fire to get someone's attention in the government that we needed funding for AIDS research. And it's it's important, you know. I think I, it's also important to say, Dan, I just want to jump in and say, yeah. it wasn't just about research. It was about the fact that people in hospitals, were, if the hospitals were would, even, would even let you in if yep. you had AIDS. Yep. And then if you were let in, it was some hospital that was super underfunded, super rundown, and you were stuck in a room that no one would attend to you. No one would even come near you. Like this yep. wasn't they about food this, outside the door. This, yeah, it's this isn't crazy. about like some some twenty twenty three idea of medical research. No. This was neglect. This was we don't want to touch you. We don't know what you have. You are subhuman. Yep, and you're one hundred percent right. And I think it's important that we have to embrace our history, and we have to realize that some people worked on the inside. And some people had to work on the outside. And it's a good balance because you, we've got to have both. We've yeah. got to have somebody who works from the inside trying to change minds that can be changed. 
And then we have to have people on the outside who are willing to march and burn down some shit if we don't get some answers and some help. You know, and it's important. And these are history things. And I do think that we really have so much wonderful history. And we have people who are out there promoting it. But we have to keep it going. And a great deal of that is listening to our elders. Because they have things to tell us that we don't know. Or they need to remind us that, yes, we know that. Remind us of it one more time. Well, I think... I think this a, go ahead, Jake. We all have something to say. Go, Jake. You've been the quietest. <laughs> and, you know, and that's you know, coming from, I was really coming into this one ready to listen. But at the same time, currently in my life right now, I the person I'm dating, Cameron, he's younger than I am. So I'm the elder in the situation. And that's the first time that's happened for me. So I feel like it is a huge responsibility for me to act appropriately teach and teach lessons but also at the same time what i'm learning is how much that i as somebody that's older can learn from somebody younger than me and i feel like that has a lot to do with letting the voices of the youth be be heard i feel like a lot of times they aren't heard and then they act out because that's how that's how their voice is going to be heard and sometimes history can be a little and I'm going to say this, it can be a little boring. And how are we going to count? Because question I have is, how are we going to captivate the youth, the people that are coming up and learning? How are we going to captivate them into remembering what this, how rich this history is? What are we going to do to get them to, to start hearing? Because the stories are important and they're not, it's not just important. They're interesting. They're fascinating. But what language are we going to use to convey this to, to those that maybe aren't putting their ears up to it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I that's, that's a what, great question. I think that's where we get into legacy keeping. People who are telling the stories that need to be told. I mean, if you think about it, how many people today of the Jewish faith are alive that actually lived through the Holocaust? Probably very few. Very few at this point. But, We're down to about 1%. But everybody remembers that story. Yes. Everybody talks about yes. it. Everybody holds that as something that we will never repeat. And then we get to the AIDS epidemic and it's not the same. And it's not the same on many levels, but for our community, this was a complete wiping out of generations of people. And that is something we do not need to forget about. There are people that are telling the stories. I mean, Ryan Murphy is doing a great job in reminding us of where we came from and he's doing it in popular culture usually with a little bit of a supernatural bent thrown in, you know, we got uh, Boys in the Band, which was amazing. That was, that was pre-AIDS, but he's keeping us aware of our history if you're listening. But personally, the most impactful thing I have seen in, uh, God, maybe forever, that reminded me of the legacy which we come from is the play The Inheritance by Matthew oh. Lopez. I saw it last year, this year, twice. This year, I think it was. Twice. And it was this year, yeah. It was. Tw I saw it twice, and it is a six-hour play. 
I saw it twice. It, you, it's it's two sittings. You you have to finish it. There's a you have to come back. I, I don't want to say the first act because there's many acts along the way, but the first part, I guess, is what it is. And then you have to come back for the second part. Oh my god, I'm so glad you brought that up. That play, just you live it. You're you're back in it. It's just it's it's. I have no words. I mean, it is one of the most astounding stories that I and again I'm stuck I have no words I, it's just it it transport you it transported me I should say I'll speak for myself uh, it transported me back to a time where I was like this is really oh my god that second that second part I just I get in tears just thinking about how it played out it's Bro, just the end of scene one of act one. Oh my god it's magnificent <laughs> so and here's the thing about the play it's six hours. I mean, everybody's seen like the, the the script of a play before. It's like, yeah, no, we've all seen one. This, <laughs> this is the script of the inheritance. <laughs> and it's done very minimally. There's no giant staging. There's no crazy scenery. It's the story. And you sit down the first time and you're like, oh boy, this is a long play for like, where's the, where, where's the Disney animatronic of it all? Where's the little mermaid? <laughs> right. Where's the secret garden? Hey, where's the line? Hey, where, where's the cocktail cart? Oh, for <laughs> heaven's sakes. But you are in that story and it doesn't mm -hmm. honestly take place that far in the past. It takes place right after the first, it takes place right after Trump is elected. So it takes place like 30 years after the AIDS epidemic, but then it tells, but it brings it all back because of these characters, because it's about intergenerations that talk to each other. Right. And how, and the inheritance is actually how the younger generations inherit this knowledge and this history. story and this history, and maybe even this burden of remembering and bringing it forward and keeping it alive. Like this is all the people that pass, the people that, the entire generations of young, thriving men, talented men that were just wiped out in their prime. And it does it so masterfully. And the thing is, as George said, it's six hours. And you think about, oh my God, this is a six hour fucking play when you're just sitting down in the audience. But I am telling you, by the time, like, I actually saw it in two different days. I saw the first part on one day and the second part on, on another day. And I was so mad at myself that I didn't do the second part on the same day because waiting those three extra days to see the second part, I was dying. I was like, I need to see how this finishes. It is so wonderfully done. And what a great thing to talk about like when it when talking about our history and and what a great way to sort of encapsulate that yeah Thank i you, don't George. anyone anyone that has the opportunity to see it do it do it don't be afraid of the six hour runtime trust don't be me. afraid of the fact you got to buy two different tickets to see it two nights do it do it worth it <clears throat> inheritance. the inheritance <clears throat> no that's you know i feel like i'm closing that out it's just Sometimes, especially with the way our as humans our our chemicals work, good memories. We when we have those happy memories, they're meant to be lost. That's the chemical release in your body that that does that. That's why you forget happiness so quickly. Mm -hmm. 
and the chemical release when sadness or trauma happens, that's what stays the longest. And unfortunately, sometimes that's how we have to remember the history, but that's also some of the best way to honor it, honestly. That's so funny, Jacob, you say that, because I've never thought about that, how like everybody's heard of like, you go into therapy and you do like past life trauma, regression, blah, blah, blah. No one's doing like past life happiness regression. No, no one's yeah. remembering the happy things. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's chemically released. That it, you are meant to. That's the dopamine literally makes you forget. So happiness makes you forget. That's why it feels so good. <laughs> and one of the things is generational trauma usually lasts three generations. So if we think about it, if we look at the AIDS epidemic, that was say in the eighties and nineties when we were hit hardest. That's only one generation ago. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the AIDS epidemic still has yet another full generation to go before we start really repairing it. I mean, it's when you look at things like, I mean, I know that may sound a little simplistic, but generational trauma does not end just because we think of something happy. And I do think we've got to keep the history going. Amen, sister. Amen. And it, it's funny, I had this realization the other day that I think that we all, I've thought this for a long time, we all have certain empathic abilities, right? That we pick up on the energies of people around us. And for the longest time, I've always, I pick up on people's negative energy. I pick up on their chaotic energy, that chaos and all of that stuff. And I just had this realization not too long ago. It was like, if I had the ability to do that, I also have the ability to pick up on the, the good energy too. And I need to just change my point of focus oh, and yeah. stop stop focusing on that and start focusing on what are the what what's the good shit that's happening around me Girl. right now how do i how do i tune into that and turn that coin so, over yeah. there's another side yeah. of it <laughs> but media and does not help us in no. when it comes to that so but you're told i absolutely right you gotta the energy is out there you just gotta be a magnet for yeah. what energy that you want to bring in and put out because it works that way too change that antenna turn that dial mm -hmm. All right, before we wrap this up, I, I do want to ask one thing, and I did not give you guys notice of this ahead of time, so this may go miserably and we may end up cutting it out, but giving, given our thinking back across all of our queer history, pick one person in the wheel of time that you like, admire, or respect for what they've done for our community or the world in general. I'll go first. Mine is Alan Turing. I actually really love the fact that this man sort of was responsible for breaking the Nazi code during World War II. He did this at a time when everyone would throw him in jail and lock him away, but he did it for his country. And it's just, it's a very inspiring story to me. So I'm going to be real quick. Go next. So I've said this person before. I'm going to bring it back because... I think his name should always be said out loud. And that's Matthew Shepard. Matthew Shepard absolutely changed the way that people see homophobia in this country and what it can do to people. And God bless that poor, poor little boy and the trauma that he, that he endured and the fact that he has become like a saint among the gay community. So I will say again out loud the name Matthew Shepard. Well, I have to bring her up because she's very, very important. We talked about Stonewall. We talked about history. And that's Marsha P. Johnson, of course. 
you know, advocate for not just queer, trans, people of color, and someone that was taken from us early, like many, many, many have, unfortunately. Yes, yes. Say her name. <laughs> so I have two. One will be unique, which is Susie Orman, a lesbian woman who's fantastic with finances and had a very long show. It's important. Oftentimes we like to look over things that are like, oh, look, you know, she's physically responsible. She's got all these things. Susie Orman's, Susie Orman's a very, very intelligent woman. And I really do applaud her. The other one is someone who's on probably the opposite end, which is Ryan White, who was the first time we oh, saw yeah. a child with AIDS, uh, a child with AIDS that we knew his name. And we saw the hatred of people in their neighborhood who shunned them and refused to let him go to school. And they ended up having to sell their home and move out of state. It is, it is history. It didn't fix very many things. Unfortunately, it only shocked a few people because we were early in the AIDS epidemic. But it's someone's name who needs to be repeated, Ryan White. That was a lot in all the best ways possible. Maybe a little uncomfortable, but that's not a bad thing either. History is not always pretty. Sometimes it is when we talk about what I'm wearing, but that part's always pretty. Girl, but... I have seen those Olamil portraits. That won't pretty either. Oh, honey, yeah. <laughs> with that on social. With that home perm, honey. With that, that Ogilvy home perm. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, lear I've learned that Jake's curly hair is something Dan will never, ever have in this lifetime. <laughs> In the words of Grandpa Walton, good night, Danny boy. Right, thank you. <laughs> good night, Mary Jordan. Ellen. <laughs> Goodbye, y'all. everybody. Good night, y'all. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Queer Magnolias podcast. We all love you and the amazing support and feedback you have given us thus far. So much. We need more. Uh, well, we would love to hear more brilliant brainstorms from you magnificent magnolias. So we highly encourage you to be included and find slash follow us at Queer Magnolias on Twitter and at Queer Magnolias Podcast on Instagram and Facebook if you haven't already. We would love to hear your comments and feedback, good or bad. Uh, wait, oh, what? Wait, no, uh, no, nobody wants their bad comments. Fuck yeah. that. Fuck off. And you can listen to us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcast, wherever the hell you're listening to us right now, or wherever you might find your podcast. All right. Until next time, blossoms. <laughs>